So baptism is an outward expression of your inward decision to become a Christian. It's something Jesus asks us to do. It's a moment of great celebration as we declare, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And this afternoon, as you've already heard, we have an outdoor baptism service in our church backyard. You're invited to celebrate with those who are being baptized. It's one of the most exciting times of worship for us as a church family. And to help us prepare for this afternoon, I, I want to kick off a, a new series for the month of July on true stories with a story of a baptism found in Acts chapter 8. Baptism is all about grace, about God's unmerited favor towards anyone who asks Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and commits to living their lives for Jesus. And before we get into our story today, I, I want to quickly help you understand the word grace um, by actually understanding a couple of other words, the words uh, justice and mercy. So a few theological definitions before we jump into our story. Because you really can't understand grace unless you compare it to justice and mercy. So I want you to imagine something that would never happen to any of you here, but the CRA caught you cheating significantly, like big time on your taxes. So much so that you had to go to court and, and the judge acknowledges that, yeah, this is your first crime and, and you got three young children at home. So instead of imposing the normal five-year sentence, he's merciful. He simply decides to give you a two-year sentence instead. That's mercy. Mercy is getting less than what you really deserve. It's, it's really a cool thing. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting less than you deserve. Let's say you get, cheating on, you get caught cheating on your taxes and the judge sentences you to that five years. But after doing so, he walks with you across the street to the local prison, opens the cell door, and then steps inside himself. Closes the door on himself and, and says... I've decided to serve your sentence for you. I will pay your debt to society in full. I will pay in your place. You are free to go, totally free. That's grace. Grace is getting far more than you ever deserve. Justice, mercy, grace. You know, pure grace just disturbs some people. It's, it's otherworldly. It seems too good to be true, which is why many people kind of fend it off, push it away. They can't trust it. But pure grace, God's grace, when it's fully understood and then personally and deeply embraced, it, it transforms people. It, it rearranges the human heart profoundly and permanently. It, it, it destroys uh, pride. It dismantles it plank by plank. I mean, pride can't exist in a grace-filled heart. Pure grace turns you into a grace-giving or a gracious person. Pure grace, when it finds a home in your heart, makes you forgiving and a quick-to-forgive kind of person. There's nothing like it, really. So that leads to this story of this guy God decided to pour his unmerited favor into. We, we don't know why God set his sights on this particular guy, just like, I don't know why God is so good to me or to you. Now, just a little side note before we start the story. The Apostle Luke wants to make a point in this story that today we might not as easily see. Luke wants us to see that this guy was not part of the majority Jewish race. He's a dark-skinned man in a Middle Eastern, slightly tan-skinned world. 
He was from a foreign country, from the nation of Ethiopia, northwestern Africa. Here in Fort McMurray, we have a fair-sized uh, Ethiopian community. Luke wants his readers to understand that our God is colorblind. This guy is also described as a eunuch, which means he was probably castrated, probably so to become a trusted servant to the queen uh, of Ethiopia, or something happened to him, or he was born this way, we don't know, but it's most likely it has to do with his choice to become a servant of, of the queen of Ethiopia, because we do know that he held an important position with the queen of Ethiopia, he was, it would appear, to be the treasurer of Ethiopia. He handled the money, and he was a worshiper of God. He was not ethnically Jewish, but a worshiper of the God of the Jews. Some might call him a Jewish proselyte, you know, kind of on the journey to becoming a Jew. Some Ethiopian Jews today trace their ancestry back to King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. This Ethiopian eunuch could be a part of that line. We, we just don't know for sure. And again, for reasons we just don't know, God zeroes in on this affluent but sexually disabled man with dark skin. I mean, for the average Jewish person, even though he might be a Jewish proselyte, he's still a Gentile and a dark-skinned Gentile at that. Racism was very much a part of the first century culture. And what is fascinating in this story is to see our God who was colorblind carefully arranges the chess pieces on the board so that this Ethiopian guy can experience life-transforming grace. First, God gives a trusted follower of Jesus the assignment to be a messenger of grace. This is so awesome. And if you want to follow this story in your Bible on your phone, or if you have a paper one with you, we'll be looking at Acts 8, 26 to 39. It'll also be on the screen, which is good for most of us. The Apostle Luke writes, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the desert road that leads to Gaza. So he started out. Philip, you know, he's just a normal guy thinking he's going to have a normal day, but then he has this out-of-the-world encounter with an angel of the Lord. And this angel tells him to drop everything and to head off to a distant place for reasons that are not made clear to him. But Luke tells us that he started out like no questions asked, no demand for more information. Heaven speaks and he springs into action. Man, I wish it was more like Philip. Because sometimes, you know, heaven speaks to me. I can, I can tell that it's God speaking and I go, oh, yeah, no, that's not clear enough. Need a few more facts. I don't know why you'd ask me to do that. Uh, I'm not the guy for that. And I kind of hang back. I don't follow through on, on what I heard. And, and I bet some of you do the same thing, you know? God is tapping you on the shoulder, asking you to do something, say something, and you're going, oh, is that you, God? When deep down you know it is, but still, you hold back. But not Philip. Hey, I, I love this guy. Heaven speaks, and he acts. He walks all the way to this remote location. It could have been 25 kilometers or more from what we can tell. And he just hangs out there. He doesn't know why he's there. He maybe feels a little bit stupid out there in the middle of nowhere. But then he, he sees a cloud of dust on the road. Someone is heading his way. And sure enough, a chariot appears with a guy who is not from there. And he's sitting on the bench seat reading a scroll that looks familiar to Philip. And listen to what happens next. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot. I mean, Philip has no idea why he's to go there, but he follows orders. In fact, Luke tells us he runs. I mean, heaven speaks and he runs again. I respect this guy so much. Philip hears the man is reading aloud from the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Now for Philip, you know, the puzzle pieces right now are starting to come together. Philip is thinking, oh man, I get it. I know why I got sent all the way down to a desert road because there was a guy who was going to come past and God had a message he wanted me to help explain to him. And Philip is going, oh man, this is so cool. God speaks to me and I get to be a part of what he's doing. And, and Philip was ready. He was ready to provide some spiritual roadside assistance to this guy, right? The Bible passage this eunuch was reading was from Isaiah 53. Now, some of you who read your Bible regularly, you, you know this chapter. There is some beautiful imagery in the book of Isaiah about the fact that Jesus was coming someday. The words were written, you know, several hundred years before the arrival of Christ. It was prophetic in, in nature, and, and it was confusing if you don't really know the time frames here. Um, let me uh, just give you an example of a beautiful verse that this eunuch was reading from Isaiah. For he was wounded for our wrongdoings. Now that's interesting, you know, someone gets wounded for the wrongdoings of others. And it says he was bruised for our iniquities. Someone gets roughed up for the sake of someone else. The punishment due us was placed on him. So, so someone bore something that he didn't deserve to bear because our punishment was put on him. And by his stripes, someone beat him up. We are healed. Again, where we now live in history, this all makes perfect sense to us. We know that Isaiah was foretelling the coming of Christ. But this Ethiopian guy was reading this for the first time and he can't make heads nor tails of it. And so he invites Philip to come up and explain the meaning of the text. Philip began with that very passage of scripture. We're talking Isaiah 53. He kind of explained what the imagery was all about and how it was foretelling Christ. And then Luke says, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. The Ethiopian is listening to the good news of Jesus. Again, we don't really know exactly how long this talk that Philip gave uh, went, but he, he tells them about the good news of Jesus, how Jesus actually came down and how he died an atoning death and paid for our sin and that he was resurrected on the third day. And then thousands of people started to follow him. They got baptized and started a church in Jerusalem and all, there's all this miraculous stuff going on. Philip is telling this guy all this stuff and he's wondering, is this Ethiopian guy just going to see it or is he actually going to be seized by it? Is he going to merely understand it a bit or is he going to embrace it personally? And I have to tell you, that's something I pray. I mean, as I speak, will you guys just hear me? Yeah, understand what I'm saying a little bit or, or will you be seized by the truth of God's word? Will you let God do a work in your life through his word? Friends, there is a big difference between hearing and understanding God's word and actually being seized by it. Did you catch when, when Dinah in that video was actually seized by God's word? It was so awesome. Friends, that's really my prayer. 
that you wouldn't just hear and understand God's word, but that you would be seized by it and, and let it transform you into who God would have you be. Hope you're okay that I pray that. It's a prayer I believe God delights to answer. Anyways, I, I, I think, I imagine that Philip might be having a little conversation with God where he's going, Lord, is he going to get it? Lord, would you just let this message of your good news seize him and, and transform him? And what happens is so awesome. This Ethiopian was so seized by God's amazing grace that he, he wanted to seal the decision as soon as possible. And when he saw water, he's like, I, I want to get into that water and symbolically go under and come up, having been washed from head to toe by the work of Jesus. I want to do that. He saw water, and, and they ran down to the water. Let's get, like, real practical about this. If you've been seized by amazing grace, you too would run for the first waters of baptism that you could find. Any place in the world, you would just run to the rivers of baptism. You would want to seal this grace deal that God's given you as a free gift. You'd want to say, thank you, Jesus. Let's seal it. Let's, let's seal it today. If you resist baptism, my fear is that you'll only see this grace thing that Jesus has done for you, but you haven't actually been seized by it. I, I fear that you'll understand it a bit, but you've never personally embraced it. Now, there are some legitimate questions that, uh, about baptism that people, add, you know, that people ask me over the years. Let me uh, speak to several very quickly. Over my years of ministry, uh, I've met people who say, I've been seized by grace. I mean, I cry every time. I sing amazing grace. I've embraced it. But I was baptized as a baby, so maybe it's unnecessary for me to be baptized now that I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a legitimate question. I think uh, some of you here today have that question. And so here's a thought for you to prayerfully consider. Your infant baptism was done by parents who loved you, who were full of hope that someday you would be on that you know, spiritual trajectory that they were sending you on with that uh, infant baptism, that, that one day you would decide to take up the faith involved with following Jesus of your own free choice. Why else would a parent have their child baptized? They, they want their child to develop faith and to freely choose to follow Jesus. And for many parents who have their children baptized as infants, they are thrilled with their child's adult baptism. Not so much because they got baptized as a believer, but because they were choosing to continue to follow Jesus. Now, I get that some family situations are more complicated. Mine was. My mother saw my uh, baptism as a rejection of the Catholic faith I was raised in. And for her, our identity as Irish Catholic was far more important than my simple desire to follow Jesus. And for reasons that have a lot to do with family politics, I was baptized as an infant by the bishop of the cathedral in North Bay, Ontario, who added a saint to my name so that I wasn't just Douglas Darrell Doyle, I became Douglas Darrell Stephen Doyle, yes, Douglas Darrell Saint Stephen Doyle. Yeah, it was complicated, very complicated. Don't think it'll be quite so complicated for many of you. For most devout Catholics or Anglicans, Lutherans, Presbyterian, Christian Reform that I know, if their child was baptized as an infant and chooses to be baptized as a believer, they simply celebrate their child is going on with faith and following Jesus. Because staying in the faith is no small deal in this day and age. 
Now there is a story in the book of Acts of one whole household getting baptized at the same time, but this doesn't contradict the overall teaching of the New Testament that baptism is something you do after you make a decision to follow Jesus. In essence, as soon as you become a Christian, you, you run to the waters of baptism, and, and by so doing, you fulfilled what happened to you as a baby. And if your family is all ready to make that decision with you, all the more awesome. I think it would be totally awesome if someday we got to baptize a whole family together here. Just just the thought there. Anyways, at Fort City, we dedicate children to the Lord, making a, a commitment to raise them in the faith, praying that they'll make their own decision to follow Jesus and to be baptized later to seal their commitment to follow Jesus. In the Christian Reformed, you are baptized as an infant, but interestingly, they have something that's a, a bit like believer's baptism. It's called profession of faith. In the Catholic Church, it's called confirmation. But I believe the biblical model is that baptism follows your personal decision to follow Jesus. Another question I get all the time, or maybe it's just a bit of a pushback, People say to me all the time, oh, I'm just not ready to be baptized. I, I don't know enough. I, I've not been a Christian long enough. I'm just not ready. Here's my answer. As far as I can tell, this Ethiopian guy knew about 30 minutes worth of Christianity. That's probably it. He probably, though, knew the right stuff. He understood the basics of the good news of the gospel. I mean, he knew enough. Hey, none of us really knows it all or knows enough. I don't know enough. There are a lot of questions that I, as your pastor, who studied in seminary, can't answer. I don't know enough. But I know Jesus, and that is enough. Then there are some people who say, hey, I'm nervous about the public thing. I'm just not a public person. I don't want to be in front of a crowd. I just remind people gently that, that Jesus hung on a cross very publicly, very publicly for many hours to purchase your redemption, very public. And soldiers were mocking and people were throwing stuff and they were cursing him while he was hanging publicly to win your redemption. The, the example of Jesus, I think, is worth considering. I, I think Jesus is just asking you to spend about 30 seconds in front of a group of friendly well-wishers cheering you on. Hey, that might not be out of the realm of possibility for you, right? Maybe a video uh, of your story in addition to you standing for 30 seconds. I mean, those stories that we just watched in the video, they were so awesome. Hey, some people prefer, you know, the lake or river baptisms. They seem less scary than inside of a church auditorium. Maybe an outdoor church backyard baptism in the afternoon would work well for you. Uh, I mean, sorry about the blue-green algae at uh, Gregoire, but yeah, we didn't want to spread any diseases today. Whatever. Jesus is asking you to make a public profession of your faith. He publicly died for you, and, and he asks that you publicly take a stand for him. If you understand grace, and more than that, if you're seized by God's love for you, then your next first act of honoring God is to run to the waters of baptism. All right, back to our story. Um, this Ethiopian eunuch is rejoicing after his baptism because all of a sudden he, he started to realize what God had done. The link was created in a very practical way to make sure that the amazing grace of Jesus came his way. 
this Ethiopian guy, he realized that God tapped Philip on the shoulder and sent him on a 25-kilometer a, a trek to stand in the middle of a desert that he didn't even know who, if anybody, was coming. And God arranged this intersection of their lives so that amazing grace could be explained to them. And the Ethiopian guy just went, wow, I must be a loved man. And he went on his way rejoicing, Luke tells us. You know, every sincere follower of Jesus I've ever met, if they sit down and think about it, maybe sit down with a journal after they go through baptism, they can look back on their life and they can see all of the little moves that God made, all of the people that he put on the desert road in their life to, to make sure that um, it would all contribute to the day where the scales, you know, the day when the scales would fall off their eyes and they were seized by grace for the very first time. My parents sent me to a Catholic school in Montreal when I started in grade one. And my grade one teacher, Mrs. Lachine, was a godly woman with a passion for Jesus. God used her to introduce me to Jesus. She was my Philip. We later moved to Toronto, and my parents, who struggled with faith a bit, sent me to a public school instead of a Catholic school, maybe worried that I was getting a little too religious. But in that uh, public school was a kid I became good friends with named Ian McKillop. He had just become a follower of Jesus, attending a Christian camp called Minioi. He shared his passion for Jesus with me. He, he became a Philip to encourage me to keep going in my faith. And, and then I went to that camp and I recommitted my life to Jesus at that camp. Minioi totally changed the direction of my life. I, I heard God call me into full-time ministry at Minioi. I was even camp director there for a couple of years. But a Philip by the name of Ian McKillop was the puzzle piece God used to make it all happen. This, friends, happens to every follower of Jesus I know. They know God has been wooing me. God has been moving the chess pieces for me. Someone gave me a book or a video. Someone invited me to church. Someone prayed for me. Someone explained the gospel to me. Someone did this. Someone did that. And that follower of Jesus knows not only am I loved and my sins have been paid for, but God did all these private, secret little movements so that grace uh, um, could come my way. Thank those people. Thank the Phillips in your life. Thank anyone who helped you on the road to grace. And one more thing again, thank the Phillips, but then be a Philip. Be a Philip. Next time that God whispers you to be a messenger of his grace in some small way or, or to go somewhere or, or to call someone, do what Philip did and say yes immediately. Don't do what I sometimes do when I say, oh God, I, I, need no, I need a few more pieces of the puzzle, a little more information because I just don't understand. Do what Philip did. Just run in the direction God is prompting you to go and, and see what happens. Because he might just be arranging for you to provide someone with some spiritual roadside assistance, just like Philip. And friends, the greatest gift that you can give to another human being is to introduce them to the God who loves them. They will thank you forever. They'll thank you all through this life and all through the next. And one last thing. You know, maybe God has spoken to you about baptism this morning. He seized your heart about the need to go public with your faith as a believer. 
You could do that this afternoon, as Lucas said, just talk to me or Lucas and Adrian and we'll make it happen. Or if this afternoon doesn't work for you, just talk to us and we'll have you scheduled for the next baptism. So would you think you're Phillips? Would you be a Philip? Would you embrace grace and run to the waters of baptism if you've not done that? All right, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, yeah. I do thank you for your amazing grace, your unmerited favor, where I get what I do not deserve because you so love me. I pray that if there are any, even this morning, who are gripped by your grace, who have not taken the step of being baptized as a believer, that today they would make that decision and be baptized this afternoon or in the near future. And God, help us to be, just help us to be like Philip and immediately do whatever you whisper in our hearts to do. May we respond and speak to that person you call us to speak to, pray for that person you call us to pray for. May you use all of us here this morning to be agents of your amazing grace to the people and our families in this city and world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.